Second uh, Peter chapter three, and uh, we're looking tonight at commands in light of Christ's coming. Um, <clears throat> we're actually coming to the conclusion of the epistle of Second Peter. Uh, we've seen how that this little book is kind of a uh, could be a tract for modern time. It's it's got a lot of information and, and things that uh, would uh, appeal to, uh, well, I don't know if they would appeal, but they would at least uh, address uh, the apostate false teachers of the day. Uh, it's really an attack on false teachers, uh, those who willingly follow these false teachers, those who teach heresy uh, of destruction or perdition, and Second Peter is living proof that the Word of God is never out of date. That's just, you have principles and teaching here that is for today as well as when it was written. And so the Bible is relevant. Uh, in order for true Christians to be distinguished from false teachers and their followers who are teaching that a person could live a sinful life as he pleased after receiving Christ, uh, Peter speaks to them about salvation and uh, that salvation is characterized by good spiritual work. So what we're doing here to begin with, uh, and this is probably good for a few folks here tonight that haven't been here uh, for a while, go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, and notice there it says, the right, I went to first. There we go. Second, uh, Second Peter, verse uh, chapter one, verse five. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation demands a changed life because God, the God of heaven and of earth, is at work in every true believer. Uh, the child of God will demonstrate their relationship by their desire for the pursuit of holiness. It's Charles Spurgeon who said, an unchanged life is the mark of an unchanged heart. And an unchanged heart is a sign of an unregenerate heart. Another distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that he makes the inspired Bible his authority uh, for life. And uh, uh, false teachers always deviate from the truth of Scripture. But a child of God will make the Bible their only rule for faith and practice. I think I got those two uh, switched around. Well, I got that one early. That's what I did. That's the one I should be on right there. Second Peter chapter uh, 1, 
Verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day, uh, day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, now, our criteria for living is not experience. It's not what we think. Uh, it's not what uh, even a church uh, would necessarily tell us. Uh, everything's got to be based upon the Word of God. Okay? Uh, the inspired, infallible Bible. Then another mark of true Christian is he acknowledges Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Uh, he's God. He's King. He's Master. He's Ruler. He's Governor. Uh, of our lives and knowing this that Jesus paid for our sins and bought us out of the slave market of sin that's a stark contrast to the false teachers and the mere professors who deny Jesus as Lord and who claim they, they claimed had bought them uh, but they're uh, headed for eternal dis destruction uh, chapter 2 verse 1 but there were false prophets also among the people, even as shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto them upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, false teachers are usually apostates. That is, they are men and women who have known the truth of Christ and Christianity, even at times seemingly giving evidence uh, of being true Christians, but after a while they turn from the true faith and they follow false teachings and uh, they just don't want anything to do with Christianity. Uh, they are then guilty of apostasy and they pass uh, the point of no return where God may never save them. So an apostate was never a true believer in the first place as it's impossible for a true, real, genuine Christian to apostatize true Christian will persevere in the faith uh, to the end. Lord Jesus said, And uh, uh, ye be hated of men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. However, the apostate will go back to his old, unsaved lifestyle, even though at one time he seemed to be a very dynamic Christian. You look at chapter 2, verse 20. It says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that washed to her wallowing in the mire. So Christians have an assurance placed in their heart uh, by the Holy Spirit that Christ is coming, and uh, that uh, Christ will set in motion a whole series of prophetic events, and these events will culminate with the destruction of the world by fire, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now in chapter 3, uh, verse 12 and 13, uh, we read there, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day, wherein 
the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements of, uh, shall melt with fervent heat. And uh, nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for the new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth uh, righteousness. Now, uh, we have those who will uh, mock, and I need to go back to chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, knowing this, that there shall come uh, in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. True Christians wait patiently uh, for the coming and the work uh, of uh, Christ and knowing that uh, Christ's uh, delay uh, is giving them an opportunity for more people to repent and believe. Uh, we have the assurance placed in our hearts that he is coming again. And when he is coming, uh, we'll see all these things that are taking place here, as we read there in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. So we rush through a kind of a review of what we've looked at in this study of Second Peter. But in the last section, Second Peter uh, chapter 3, you have four practices that a Christian is diligently to seek to do. In light of the soon coming of Christ, which may well be within our lifetime, the Christian is to set his priorities straight and uh, do the really important things in life, uh, which will count for eternity. Now, there are four of them. We're going to look at two of them tonight, uh, uh, so we can uh, get to our prayer time. But uh, uh, we'll look at the uh, first two and... Uh, uh, Jesus is coming again, and there's some commands that he gives in view of Christ's coming. And the first command is to be restful. Go down to chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, command to be restful. Now, what are we to do in being restful? First of all, we're to be looking. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. Uh, you say, well, if I'm resting, I've got my eyes closed and I can't see anything. Well, that's not kind of rest we're talking about. Don't be asleep. Uh, but be looking uh, for these things. Uh, and we see here that Peter... Uh, is demonstrating love for his uh, fellow Christians. Uh, he calls them beloved, as with a true pastor's heart, he calls them beloved, uh, those divinely loved by, by God. And the motivation for service, the incentive for keeping the commands for holiness is not fear, but uh, eternal, unchanging love of God. And even though we will not experience some of the things that are going to happen after the rapture, a Christian is to have a different kind of love or life in a non-Christian world. You say, well, I don't have to worry about that. The rapture is going to come. I'm going to be taken away. And I don't have to worry about all this, that, this judgment and the stuff that's going to happen. Well, it should motivate us, though, to live a different kind of life because we want to be a witness and a testimony to those who don't know Christ. And uh, so it's very imperative that we live righteously. It's to Christ and Christ alone who we give 
uh, account for our actions and thoughts and motivations at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one that received the things done in the body according as he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we need to be looking, looking for these things, and in our looking for these things, we live a righteous, holy life. Secondly, we are to be diligent. He says here in verse 14, Be diligent that they, ye may be found in him peace, in peace without spot and blameless. Again, you say, well, if I'm going to rest, I'm not going to be diligent. Uh, <laughs> that means work. If I have to be diligent, you know, it's... Uh, uh, be diligent in the sense of uh, be mindful that you're in him and you live in peace without spot and blameless. Again, a, a uh, uh, motivation to live a righteous life, a life that pleases the Lord. So in light of the truth of the rapture, uh, which will set off the events of the end times as are described here, we're to be diligent, be zealous, to strive earnestly. That's what diligent means, uh, and to be found in peace. Uh, we, as Christians, are to reflect Christ and his character of peacefulness. Uh, we're to have spiritual restfulness and a calm about us as the world around us seems to be in a frenzy. Uh, the world around us seems to be crumbling politically, morally, economically, social, uh, sociologically, and uh, we, as Christians, know something of the rest that we can have in God, realizing he has a plan for the world and for us. Isaiah 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Peter says that uh, Christians are not to just be feverishly panicking in the midst of this uh, personal uh, or world crisis. God has given us a technique of spiritual rest when it comes to uh, what the world is going on, the world seems to be crushing in on us, uh, we're to rest or relax in Christ in the adverse circumstances, and we will experience peace that passes all human understanding. Uh, that's what we call faith rest, uh, that every Christian can have, providing he, we turn to the Lord by faith in the midst of trials and tribulations. Personal peace is kind of, uh, I hate to use the term mind control, but it's God's mind uh, control because Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So when we're restful in Christ, we're spotless and blameless before God and the light of life of trust is what pleases the Lord. Now, we're to be different. Again, not accepting the world's philosophy of unrest and, and frenzy. We're to be peaceful, quiet in spirit, knowing that God is at work in the world, as we know, until the very end. You know, all down through the ages, it's been normally the case of men to have their hope set upon returning, the return of Christ and uh, their lives are to be holy and attractive. In 1 John 2.28, it tells us there, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So there's a command, first of all, to be 
restful. Secondly, there's a command to be hopeful. See this in verse 15 and 16. It says in verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they have, they that are unlearned and unstable, rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So in being hopeful, we're to be patient. Now, it says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You say, well, that's the patience of God. Well, because God is patient, God is long-suffering, we're to be patient as well. But it refers here to the day of opportunity for men and women to receive Christ uh, before he comes, before the judgment. And when Christ returns, the day of opportunity for salvation will be closed. God is long-suffering uh, toward us and is not willing that any of us should perish, but uh, that we should come to repentance. He's long-suffering, and uh, uh, we see that back in verse 8 and 9. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is the, of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, of, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, we're not uh, uh, panicking here. We have a positive outlook uh, about uh, the Lord's coming. You say, well, he hasn't come. They, uh, some of the scoffers and mockers there in, in earlier in the chapter said, well, he hasn't come for uh, thousands of years, so uh, he must not be coming. Well, he promised that he was coming, so he is coming. And we need to be long-suffering as, as the Lord is long-suffering uh, to allow people saved uh, before he comes. Uh, we need not be discouraged or despair when we see the things happening around us in our day. For they, that's, this is just all setting the stage for the return of Christ to this earth. And our task, our job, is to get the gospel. Uh, you say, I can't do that all by myself. No. Uh, many, many Christians in the world today, and that's what our responsibility is to do. Uh, we don't have to be negative. We can be positive. We can uh, have hope in a despairing world. Uh, if people see us being without hope, well, that's not going to be much of a testimony, is it? So the question is, do we project to the world a confident hope that God is on the throne of history and will one day send his son back to this earth to straighten out this crazy mixed up world. So we need to be patient. Secondly, we need to be loving. He says, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now Peter talks about Paul here. Uh, they didn't always see eye to eye, but uh, I think they came around to the point where they realized they were both uh, brothers in Christ, and they were doing uh, ministry for the Lord. And uh, Paul taught that God is long-suffering. 
uh, so that men could repent and turn to Christ. And we notice that Peter addresses Paul as our beloved brother. What a great way to speak of another fellow minister. No jealousy here now. There's no competition, uh, even though it was Paul who had to rebuke uh, Peter at one point about uh, uh, his having table fellowship with the Gentiles. And the question is, can we uh, uh, say of another Christian who may have exhorted us or even rebuked us, this is my beloved brother or sister? Well, if you can't, you have a way to go in Christian maturity. So uh, Peter is recognizing Paul's ministry as well. Being loving. Thirdly, being understanding. Be understanding. It says, as also in all his epistles, speaking of thing, them of things which are some things hard to be understood. Uh, I think it's comforting to notice here that Peter found some of the things that Paul wrote hard to understand. Uh, he didn't quite uh, uh, understand them. He didn't say that all things that Paul wrote were hard to grasp, but some things were. And in the context, he must be referring to uh, Paul's viewpoints of the second coming and the events that surrounded it. And so, surely if Peter got a little fuzzy on Paul's prophetic uh, scheme, then we ought to not feel bad if we can't grasp everything there is to know about the subject. Uh, certain subjects in the Bible that you have to do some digging. You have to get in and study if you're going to understand them. So be understanding. And that leads us to the last thing, and that is to be studious. If you're going to understand what the Bible is teaching, sometimes you have to understand it by getting in there and digging. Uh, he says, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You know, untaught, unstable, professing Christians uh, may not really be saved, and sometimes they'll try, try to distort, they'll try to twist and and uh, the, the scriptures, the teaching of the scriptures to make them fit their own evil system. And uh, they'll even torture people to get them to say the things they really do not want uh, to say. So false teachers will twist the word of God and make it say things it really doesn't say. That's why we need to be students of the word. So when someone comes along and says, you know, this is what is going to happen or this, well, that's not what the Bible doesn't line up with what God's Word says. Well, we'll know that if we're in the Word ourselves and we're studying it. See, a person who takes verses out of context can make the Bible say about anything he wants it to say. And that's why the Bible must be read in context, preached expositionally, that is, verse by verse, and notice what happens to false teachers who distort the Bible. They're destroyed. Uh, there is... Uh, Eternal destruction is their destiny. So those are the first two com commands that uh, Peter gives to us. And uh, we'll look, the Lord willing, at the last two commands and finish up this study in Second Peter uh, next Wednesday.